Welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I'm Eva Lanza, a professor in civil engineering and blogger on the side. And I am Sarah Cameron, PhD student and work in organizational psychology. In this podcast, we talk about PhD research and interview current PhD candidates, as well as those who work closely with them. We hope you'll stick around. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Talk podcast. This is episode 97 and today we are interviewing Chantelle Taylor. She is a second year PhD candidate at Loverow University and a mother of three boys. So with that very brief introduction, Chantelle, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you became a PhD candidate? Yes, so hi both. Um, I am a, as I said, a mother of three boys and I started my kind of academic um, studying when I first found out I was pregnant with the first one. Um, So I was working in pubs before that and I had this kind of epiphany that came across when I had him or when I realised I was having him that actually, um, what was I doing? (laughs) What was I doing with my life working in pubs and should I be doing more and how could I? Yes, so I started my undergraduate when I realised I was pregnant or I applied for my undergraduate when I realised I was pregnant with my first Um, I was working in pubs and I kind of had this thinking to myself that I didn't really know what I was doing or where I was going and I was going to be a mum and I needed to have a bit more kind of structure and um, a career basically rather than kind of living day to day in the pub life. And my husband, who was at that point my boyfriend, had a really good job and kind of had his life sorted. And I was a bit like, oh, now I need to sort out my life. Um, So I applied uh, to Loughborough and I kind of applied a bit on a whim. It's our local or my my local uh, university. And I kind of said, I'm really interested in sociology and the kind of study of people. And I did it at A-level, which was a few years back now, but I'm, I'm really interested in kind of going back to it and and studying a bit more and I've got all this lived experience of being you know a young woman in the world of socializing in pubs and things and I'm, I'd, I'd really like to kind of give this a go um is that possible and um they said yes which kind of blew my mind I didn't really think that they would say yes um so yeah I, I started I started kind of from there and um, since then, I've done my undergraduate at Loughborough, my master's, and now I'm doing my PhD there as well. Wow. Um, well, thank you so much. I, I always love hearing people's stories of how they arrive at PhDs, and especially the more kind of unconventional ones. Um, and I'm wondering if you could tell us now in your PhD what your research focus is and what kind of topics you're uh, exploring. Yes, so my um, research is on maternal mental health and um, the kind of online peer support that helps women through that. Um, So all the way through my um, university life, I've been interested in motherhood. I think coming into it with that being the reason why I kind of got into it, but also um, I'm the first out of many of my friends to have children and it kind of hit me this sense of I didn't know what I was doing and no one had really told me how to be a mum and I'd kind of always had this idea that I was going to have children and then I had them and then I was like 
and now I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so a lot of my kind of research has always been around mothering and what it means to be a mum. And then, um, and it's kind of spiraled on from there. Um, And the kind of mental health aspect that comes with that, I think a lot of what I felt in the early days of mothering was isolation and that kind of aloneness. And even when you're in a room full of other people, you still feel like you're kind of alone and that other people are judging you. And that really knocked my mental health and I struggled quite badly after I had my second and I've kind of used that experience to to kind of build from that and try and work out why mums struggle so much and kind of normalize it but not in a sense that it's like trivialized but to kind of say yeah a lot of us go through this and it's actually more common than what you think and it's not until you start talking about it that actually you realise how many other mums in the room are also kind of struggling with that. How are you doing the research? What type of methods are you using? And what are you planning to do in the next years of your PhD? Yeah, so um, one of the kind of major methods that I'm using is autoethnography. So I'm using kind of my own experiences and my own stories and narratives to kind of pinpoint how mums go through this and how they kind of they start in this dark place and they kind of make their way through it and and sometimes you do end up back where you thought you'd kind of progressed from but you actually keep you keep going on this journey and that's what I kind of want to reflect within my thesis this kind of journey of going back and forth from kind of surviving but also still struggling um but I'm also using um online um, online Facebook groups. So um, you, that's the kind of the peer support. So a lot of what I was doing when I was in that really dark place is going on to online groups, but too scared to actually share my story, but quite happy to read other people's stories who were saying the same thing as what I wanted to say, but I was too scared to say it. And I felt I felt kind of comfort in the, the fact that I was sharing those stories with them without even having to say my own story. Um, so I'll, I will be going on Facebook groups. Um, I've got a few that I've already kind of picked out that I used anyway um, throughout my kind of mothering. So I'm using that again to kind of reflect back into my autoethnography. Um, but I'll be kind of analysing what mums say on there and and how they support each other and how um, the mums who have, you know, they've come through the other side, how they still use those groups to support the mums who are who are still going through it. Hmm. And how has the, I guess, sort of emotional experience been for you to have your work and your professional life focused on something that's also your lived experience and something so personal? Yeah, um, it's difficult. It really is. And I think um, there's parts of it where it's really great and you feel this kind of sense of um like wonder and you know you're you're doing something so great and it's going to benefit so many mothers like I wish I'd had that kind of thing back in that time but then you get to those days and I think we all have those days especially as you know PhD students and researchers where you just think I'm not sure if I'm kind of if I'm doing this right or if I'm good enough for this and then when you add in that kind of mothering am I being a good enough mum am I failing at 
worlds and then those two worlds collide and then you have to write about how it doesn't matter if you don't think you're a good enough mum you know everyone does it differently but inside you're thinking well I don't know if I am doing it right you know (laughs) you feel like you're the kind of you must have this like special power because you've done all this research into it doesn't matter which one you choose, you know, breastfeeding or bottle feeding or, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a stay at home mum or a working mum. But on those days when you're having a bad day, you still go, well, everybody's judging me and, I, you know, I should be doing better. I should know better. Um, so, yeah, it is it is really difficult kind of getting through that. And, and like I said, like using your own your own stories and and hitting the bits that that is hard and talking about the kind of really dark bits can be can be hard but it's also it's so refreshing getting out there on the piece of paper and and having people read it and then going you know this is good and you think actually it's it's not you know I'm not saying the depression was worth it but you know it's ma- it's making a good thesis so <laughs> helping other people and it's and it's making a difference, which is which is what I hope to do. And you mentioned that your first child was born pretty much with the start of your studies. Could you tell us a bit when your other children were born and how that co- coincided or collided with your the timeline yeah. of your studies? Yes. So um, my first was born um, five months before I started. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd applied and I'd got my place. Then I had him and then I started. And then when I started, I was um, 12 weeks pregnant with my second. And I didn't tell anyone. I, I just wanted to get my first assignment out of the way and kind of prove my place and prove that, I don't know, in, in this kind of sense, I don't know if it's like a, a woman's thing that we have to like prove ourselves and we be like, okay, yeah, we're going to have children and we're going to you know, have hormones and things, but actually we're good at this. And um, I waited until I'd done my first assignment and I'd got a really good mark. And then I went, and by the way, I am uh, 12 weeks pregnant. I will be having a baby uh, within the next year. Um, So there was that kind of uh, proving myself. And I think I've had that all the way through where I've been too scared to kind of at times too scared to stand up and and make that um, kind of make, make that a thing where I say, you know, I have to do this for my child because you don't want somebody to else to say, you know, oh, you're not good enough for this because you have to go off and, you know, do childcare or you have to, you have to leave at, you know, half five, half four, five o'clock. You know, I don't want, I don't want somebody to see me as less than all the other students. So I kind of wanted to prove myself there. And I think I I did. Um, And then my third was born, um just as I started my PhD so again I'd applied for the place and I got the place um but I didn't want to tell anyone I was pregnant again until I'd kind of got the place and I got the funding and then I have to say that Loughborough and I'm I'm sponsored by the um the Economic Social Research Council both have been great um with the support kind of before and after um birth and kind of even now running on onwards my youngest is now two um they've been great and um it's been really helpful kind of having that support from both of them that's great that was actually going to be my next question is sort of how you've balanced being an academic parent and also yeah what sort of supports your 
institution either provided or, or didn't provide. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, bo both um, Lufbra and the ESRC have been really supportive, kind of especially this time round with starting a PhD. And there was it was kind of the the end of COVID, if we can call it, you know, it's not really an end, but, you know, we started going back in person and there, there was a few more things and it. It meant that I was I was able to actually take the resources that had come in where we could do virtual things and I could be at home with my children but also still kind of be involved and I think before COVID there was a lot of a lot of things where um, they said oh no you have to be in person this meeting has to be in person and as a parent sometimes that is difficult um, so actually that that helped but um, in terms of the kind of maternity support were were great kind of leading up and again afterwards and um, after I had my second when I had um, quite bad postnatal depression the um, the counseling that they offered was great and the kind of support and the opportunities to step back and kind of go part-time if I wanted to or or just take that leave of absence even kind of over the summer we've had a bit of a family um a family issue um healthcare issue and the the university kind of said you know you can take some time just take a few weeks and because it it affects your childcare you know i've i've got i'm already juggling the childcare and the university over the summer like during term time it's not too bad the oldest two are at school um but in the summer holidays, when I've got no childcare, then once a family member becomes ill, every, everything kind of changes focus and you have to rejig things. And um, Loughborough are great at saying, you know, just step back, take a few, take a few weeks and come back when the new term starts and, and it will be it will be better for for all of us. And uh, yeah, um, the support has been fantastic. You also mentioned when we were in contact before that two of your children have eyesight issues. So I wanted to ask a bit about what it's been like to parent children with additional needs and if your university has factored that in as well, if they, they provided additional support when and where needed. Yeah. Um, so actually all three of my boys have got additional needs. Um, um, the youngest two have also got eyesight uh, issues, although they're they're very minor. But they're, it, we have a lot of hospital appointments and doctors' appointments and things. And I think that is one of the the good things about a PhD, or especially about my PhD and my PhD at Loughborough, is that unlike other jobs where I've had where I've had to be there kind of nine till five every day there is that flexibility that I can kind of move things around within my own schedule. That means that I can go to those appointments. Like this week, I've got four appointments for the three boys <laughs> on different days at different times. So I can kind of take those hours out and I can add them in, you know, when the boys have gone to bed or when I when they're eating the tea or something. And I can I can jiggle things around a bit more. And there's definitely that kind of flexibility within a PhD or at least within my PhD, that means I can do that. And I think that along with the kind of the mothering in general makes it a lot easier, a lot easier than if I was working in, you know, in another office kind of with very structured rules about when you have to clock in and clock out. Um, but 
again, kind of linking back to what I said before about sharing your experiences, a lot of my stories um, around kind of struggling with motherhood come kind of hand in hand with that mothering of additional needs children. And it's a very fine line between sharing my own stories and sharing stories about my boys that I don't know if in you know, 16 years time, they're going to go, mum, why have you told everybody that? <laughs> why have you told everyone, you know, what I was doing or, you know, as, and I'm, I am conscious of that. And I'm conscious of, I think we as parents should be allowed to share our experiences and not have to kind of diminish that. But also we do have to be kind of mindful of my children and my husband and the kind of other people that come in and out of the stories that we live. And if we're telling our own stories, we have to be conscious that there are other characters within those stories and kind of realising how that could affect someone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and shifting topics slightly, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the structure of your PhD programme, because we see this varies so wildly across countries and continents. I'm wondering if you had exams you had to sit, how many years your program will take, that sort of thing. Um, so the basics of my program is three years. Um, I know lots of people that kind of get to that three years and still need that bit of extra time to write up. So I think that's pretty normal and standard within within my institution. Um, but we have, or I have no exams Um, I meet my supervisors once a month and I try and get them something, some writing that I've written at least every other month, if not every month. And then they feed back their comments and things back to me and um, I kind of rejiggle it and make it it better. Um, Every, in the first year I had a a six month review, which was, it wasn't um, compulsory, but it was kind of, you know, it was the right thing to do. And um, I met with uh, my internal um, my internal examiner and she read through some of my work and we just had a, an informal chat about how things were progressing. And then at the end of the first year, you have your um, annual review, which is then goes to the board and that's a bit more formal and a bit um a bit more regulated and then every year then you have have an annual review and then at the end we all do the dreaded fever (laughs) which I'm not looking forward to at all because I'm a very nervous person and I don't I don't stand up and talk very confidently so um yeah I will be nervous running up to that And what is the annual review at your university like? Do you write a progress report and then you give a presentation or what does it Yeah, so like? um, you do a 2,000 word progress report and then you hand in a up to 10,000 word chapter that you've written that year or, you know, within that year. Um, and then uh, you have, you send those off to your, both to your supervisor and to your, Um, internal examiner and you have a a bit of a chat kind of thing with your internal examiner she asks you questions it doesn't seem to be um, you know exam pressure worthy you know as someone who is very anxious it was it is it seems like a comfortable experience and then 
um, those uh, your internal examiner and your supervisors then send off the marks to the review board and the review board then then decide from there. Um, but yes, no, thankfully for me, no exams um, because I'm, I'm glad they're, they're have gone. Uh, yeah. Behind you. Yes, <laughs> well and truly behind me, I hope. <laughs> then we have some general questions that we ask all our interviewees. And the first one is, what would be your best advice for PhD students? Um, so I think having really good supervisors and having a really good connection with them helps with everything. Um, in terms of my supervisors, um, both are mothers and kind of have that knowledge of, oh, I've got, I'm running late, I've got to go and do this and, and kind of taking that into consideration. And obviously with me writing about motherhood, it's quite nice to have somebody who kind of has that experience to read it. And and we don't always agree, even though we're three mums, like we've got very different kind of um, outlooks on how we've come into mothering and our ages and our our um, different stages now with how, with how the children, how old the children are. Um, but we do have, um, we are very close and I, I really appreciate all the things that they've done for me. That you know, I am a member of Academic Twitter, and I've read horror stories about other supervisors, so I know I'm very lucky, um, and I, I do really appreciate that. Um, I think another um, another tip that I I think is is choosing a subject that you're really passionate about. I know that's not always the it's not always possible. Like I I picked my PhD and I kind of tailored it into what I wanted and the methods that I wanted to use. And some people probably don't have that kind of freedom, but being able to write about something that I'm really interested in and that is going to make a difference to people like me and um, the other mums that I see in the, in the playground, I think that really helps because I love all the reading, I love the writing, you know, I, I go into this as not a job, as more of a hobby. And um, definitely it helps when you when you're trying to kind of big yourself up. I think a lot of us are always kind of give me some funding because my project is really good. And I can say that because I do generally believe that I am doing something that is worth it. And the next question we like to ask all our interviewees is how you set boundaries to your work. Yes, uh, that is a tricky one. I don't think I'm very good at setting boundaries. Um, but again, as I kind of said before, the the freedom of the PhD does mean that I am able to kind of do the school pickups and come back and kind of log in and I might be writing my husband always tells me off because I'll be writing at like 11 o'clock at night and when I should be relaxing but actually that day I've done the school drop-off and pick up and I've cooked dinner and I've done bath time and bedtime and I think that actually being able to have that flexibility is really important and is really beneficial and then in terms of the kind of boundaries about what I write and I think that's again when you use autoethnography it's really important to kind of understand 
how much of yourself you want to give away. And I think um, I still struggle with that. I still kind of, I'll write something for me and then I'll edit it and then I'll write it what I want the supervisor to read. And then because I feel close to them and then they send it off to, you know, if somebody else then reads it or says, you know, can I, and then I'll feel that bit like, oh, should I don't know. I don't know. Can you read? I don't know if I want you to read that. So there is that kind of emotional boundary that I'm still kind of coming to terms with. Um, But, you know, I'm just taking it as I go. I'll I'll get there, I think. (laughs) So the other question that we ask all our interviewees is with regard to COVID-19. And you mentioned earlier that you started your PhD as um, the world was already coming out of, partially coming out of COVID. Um, But are there parts of your research or your experience that have been influenced by the pandemic or the tail end of it? And can you tell us a bit um, how it influenced as well your way of working? Yes. So, um, yeah, as I said before, kind of the COVID things that were put in place by the university helped a lot with my kind of being a mum and working from home and that that normalisation of it's okay to work from home really helped. And even kind of during the... I finished my master's in the, the first bit of the lockdown. So the very first, that March, um, was when I was coming up to the end of my master's. And I think until that point, as you know, as I've kind of mentioned, I, I was very shy about showing off how much childcare I had to put in behind the scenes because I didn't want to kind of undermined my you know ability and then when everything then went into lockdown and we were doing zooms for lectures and things and I had all the children at home because the schools were closed and my husband trying to run the children out of the video um, I think that was that was kind of eye-opening to a lot of lectures but it lecturers but it made it it made me have to show that and it made them far more compassionate to when I said, oh, I can't do this. And they knew that I wasn't just saying, oh, I can't do it because I didn't want to. There was actually a reason and there was something behind that. Um, and now in my PhD, that that kind of, I, I finished my master's um, in that COVID and then I briefly started my PhD, but I was I just I just about to have my third son. So I then had a year off of maternity leave. And that year off within that kind of COVID setting really drowned home the, the need for that peer support for mums. And I was so glad that he was my third mm. and I'd kind of been through this and I knew what was normal and what wasn't normal. And I knew how I felt within myself and I was quite confident to kind of ring up the health visitor or make a judgment call on my own. Whereas if he'd been in my first and I'd been stuck at home on my own without any kind of support or network, or I couldn't just pop into the pharmacist and say, you know, look at this baby, is this okay? That would have been really tricky. And that really told me how much this kind of peer support online for mums is needed and, um, really kind of just made me want to get back to work and there was times throughout that kind of maternity leave year where I was like 
this would be a really good year to be doing my research. <laughs> I'm at home with a baby <laughs> and I'm loving being at home with a baby, but there must be so much good research going on about mums and online support and the lack of face-to-face contact and where do they go and how do they turn and, you know, who do they talk to? And so, yeah, when I came back, I was really eager to kind of get stuck in and and find that kind of wave of papers and research and kind yeah. of add to that. Yeah, that's great. Um, and to close things off, the last question, I'm wondering if you could describe uh, what a typical day in the life looks like for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any typical day, uh, really. Um, my children wake up very early. So um, we usually are kind of awake before 6am. Um, I say kind of awake, they're definitely awake. And I'm hiding in bed going, it's not morning yet, please go back to bed. Um, and then um, the oldest two uh, at school by nine, hopefully uh, at school by nine, and my youngest goes to nursery most days. And then I will drive over to Loughborough um, and spend most of the day in the office there. We've got really nice office and there's hardly anyone there. So sometimes it does feel like I go in and I still see nobody. And I could have just stayed at home in my own office, you know, close to my bed in the warmth. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I like to go in just for that adult kind of interaction and hope that someone says, oh, shall I put the kettle on? That's my favorite part of the day. Um, so yeah, and then I'll, I'll work then my boys go to after school clubs and things. So I'll try and kind of stay till about four o'clock and then have to go home to pick them up, pick, you know, take them home and dinner and baths and beds. And then me and my husband will then have dinner and try and watch something on the telly and I'll always be on my phone scrolling through Twitter or reading a research article that somebody has sent me on an email and he goes you're not watching this (laughs) yeah um, again I have no boundaries in terms of when my work starts and finishes Um, but I'm always I am and always have been kind of the best when I'm busy Um, So I'm not very good at those days off, even on my days off, I'm reading things that I probably shouldn't be reading or I'm looking into things or I've got 100 million different things on the go at once. So that is definitely how I work best. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chantel. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And with that, I also would like to thank all our listeners for listening to today's episode. And we'll be back next week with more on PhD Life and Research Mechanics. Thank you so much for listening.